Hello friends! So today is our first episode covering our Nick Cage March Madness bracket. We watched eight movies in a week so we could talk about them and oh my god that was a lot of Nick Cage. If you've downloaded the bracket from our Substack, we are covering all the movies on the left side for round one and it is a very wide ranging Nick Cage experience. We hope you enjoy the episode, and here's the show. Thanks. Emily, we have done the impossible that we're about to do again (laughs) next week. (laughs) We have watched eight Nick Cage movies, almost none of them of our choosing, (laughs) in like a week, in two days. Like one week, eight movies. My question for you is... How is your personal relationship to Nick Cage at this moment because of that? It's not great. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I want to watch literally anything that isn't Nick Cage at this point. I feel like the hardest part is that like when normally at the end of these podcast episodes, we do like, what have you been watching? (laughs) Literally nothing else other than Nick Cage. There was this fantastic moment the other day because I mean, you and I, we work full-time jobs. We just do this on the side. (laughs) I'm also (laughs) in a master's program. So like there's not a ton of free time. So like I'm squeezing in these movies how I can. And so at one point I'm like on the treadmill walking watching Prisoners of the Ghost Land, which is one of the films we're talking about today. And on the gym screen, there's like a bank of TVs that <laughs> Con Air is playing. So I'm like completely and entirely <laughs> surrounded by Nick Cage at all moments. Okay, but Con Air is a far <laughs> superior movie. We didn't really get to pick the movies, but I feel like the fact that Face Off and Con Air I know. aren't on here... It just, I hate leaving Las Vegas with every fiber of my being. (laughs) I wish we could have stopped or something. I have to admit that, like, I actually feel quite tender towards Nicolas Cage at this moment. Like, it was a lot of time. I, too. Is it because you've seen him have sex (laughs) a bunch of times and all of them are uncomfortable and you feel bad for him? I don't know. I don't (laughs) think so. I think I feel like I understand him on an intimate level. More so than I did. Oh, <laughs> <how> intimate. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I too would very much benefit from like watching literally anything else. <laughs> but like, I, it feels like <laughs> what is Stockholm syndrome when like you just have been with your oh. captor for so long? <laughs> you're like, oh, Nick Cage. Like, I get you, man. <laughs> I think it's because you ended the movie on a good note and I went ended with Lord of War and then leaving Las Vegas, which I feel like are two of the heavier movies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't plan that well <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, to the end, the first round of the cage match, but we're only going to do the left hand side of the bracket. Obviously, starting with seeds number one and 16. So we're here to take care of four of the first round matches today. Yeah, which is eight movies and one week, <laughs> as we said before. And I just feel like everyone needs to appreciate how many movies. I was watching two Nick Cage movies a day <laughs> for like days on end. 
Okay. It's a, yeah, it's a special that's... time in our lives right now. <laughs> and I know. I feel like I've done, it's a lot of hours. It's like 16 hours yeah. of movies in, I don't know, it was a lot. And the problem is if you listen to our last episode, it's just where we used a randomizer. I feel like if we would have picked our 16 favorite Nick Cage movies, this week would have been different. <laughs> but instead we've got quite the range. Even this week, we've so got much quite range. the range of Cage selections. I think the only two movies that he didn't narrate <laughs> were Willy's Wonderland, he doesn't where speak. <laughs> he doesn't speak, and then Leaving Las Vegas, which I just watched, so I should remember more. He doesn't narrate. Uh, yeah, I think he narrates almost. He doesn't narrate Prisoners of the Ghostland. At the beginning, he doesn't? Mm, no, he doesn't. I'm fairly certain of that. Because the, the beginning is just the opening oh. shots of him robbing that bank. I feel like I watched that movie like on Sunday, which was five days ago. I've watched many movies. But I feel like we did. Why do you think that directors keep choosing to have him narrate the films? It literally was almost all of them. I feel like he's there. (laughs) (laughs) And he's the main character. Like, I feel like, I mean, we can talk about this in a minute, but I feel like other than leaving Las Vegas, he is main character that is actually something i've never really thought about before but i think you're right i don't know that i've ever seen him play a supporting role i mean moonstruck is a supporting role share as lead yeah i agree but i mean he doesn't narrate that one have you watched any of the super super early films like valley girl i bet that he's not lead in those no, he's not in Valley Girl. I'm trying to think of what other. I mean, also, I've I watched like 40 minutes of Valley Girl, <laughs> and so maybe that changes. But you don't meet him, I think, until like 10 <laughs> minutes in. Well, so round one, we are basing who wins off of how important Nick Cage is yep. to this movie. Okay, so number one is Leaving Las Vegas. Versus number 16, Lord of War. What are your thoughts? All right. So this is a hard one. And also there's like, we have talked off air about this, but like there's weird parallels between some of these choices that were randomized and like smushed together like Lord of War 2005 directed by Andrew Nichol I feel like it's one of those movies that like a lot of guys I know have seen just because they like (laughs) it's like I don't know I had never seen it before Nicolas Cage plays a Ukrainian immigrant turned gun dealer and his name is Yuri well in Leaving Las Vegas which it is up against in 1995 I mean there is a pimp in the film which we can go into the plot at more length but the, the pimp's name played by Julian Sands is Yuri so like Ukrainian mobsters loom large in in this pairing. (laughs) This is a, so I feel like as we go, we're going to have to define our terms. Like what does it mean to say Nick Cage is important to this film? Well, I think we have to look at if it would be the same film without him or like if, is he so integral to the movie that you can't imagine the movie without him? Okay. For Lord of Lore, I have to say, I think the script is pretty bad. Yes. (laughs) I think that the movie bad. But and like the, <laughs> there wasn't a ton of the cage factor going on. I think that it could have been played by literally any other B actor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like John Cusack has a similar movie <laughs> that I thought this movie 
was until I saw that it was Nick Cage. It's not particularly cagey. Yeah, and, and like somehow they also have Jared Leto playing his brother. And I also just like I had a hard time buying Nicolas Cage as Ukrainian. And like every time he tries to speak the language, it just rings hollow. Like it just feels wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was not a good movie. I feel like that was probably one of the bottom <laughs> two of this week. So I feel like with leaving Las Vegas, he plays an alcoholic who loses his job. He was a screenwriter, moves to Las Vegas, meets a prostitute. They get together. They accept that they're never changing. And then he dies. <laughs> that is basically the movie. I think the reason he won an Oscar is because other than the very beginning when he's like, dancing at the liquor store as he's throwing more <laughs> alcohol in. moment. <laughs> there aren't very many like cage specific moments in it. Yeah, I see that. But I also think that his caginess is might be what makes the alcoholism work. Like he actually more so in, than in like some of the other roles we're going to talk about where he was actually good. In this one, he is actually using his weirdness to make it work. Like, think about the moments where... <laughs> I know that you were deeply and personally, like, attacked by this movie. Bear with me. So, like, he is talking to Elizabeth Shue, the prostitute, and, like, they just had kind of, like, a serious moment. Or, like, here's one. When she, like, brings in the presents because he's moved into her apartment. And, like, they have to have a serious talk or whatever about whether or not it's a good idea for him to be there. And then she's like, but I bought you these presents. And he's like, presents! <laughs> that is a very cagey moment that isn't weird because of uh, he's, like obviously out of it but taken out of context that is definitely something that he would do sober <laughs> i feel like it's more subdued yeah cage and i think that's why it works like it's not like vampire kiss no. facial expressions well he's brilliant in the movie i mean obviously this is how he got his oscar yeah it felt like you know how when you watch Oscar movies, and then you're like, this feels really heavy, and you're like, yep, yeah, this is why yeah. it's on the ballot. <laughs> it's like we're working through some serious <laughs> shit here. Give this man an Oscar. <laughs> it definitely felt like that, but I don't know. I just think I would probably vote for this one over Lord of War. I mean, I can think of a couple cagey moments, like yeah. when he's getting together with his wife, who he literally creepily like pursues. He decides that this he's like grew up with her. And she became a model, Lord this of War. Lord of yes, War. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like in La leaving Las Vegas, and I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't know he was married, but I don't remember the backstory. Maybe Lord of War is the backstory <laughs> for leaving Las Vegas. Actually, that might work. <laughs> that would make a lot of sense, though. Like, is that Lord of War, like the Lord of War, like? His wife and yep. child have left him, and he his brothers died. His parents have disowned him, <laughs> so he's got, like, no oh connections. So I feel like then he moves to L.A. He writes the screenplay his that Lord he of War. <laughs> well, it, it's a war. Oh, you mean in Leaving Las Vegas, what he... Oh, yeah, in, in Leaving Las Vegas. Remember the two guys at the beginning of the movie that are at dinner yep. with the two women? And the one guy says, oh, I love your work. And then it's it's like some sort of war movie. I don't remember That's what amazing. one it is. I don't remember that, but this is great. <laughs> I 
I just watched it uh, like three hours ago at this time because it took me a long time to get through that movie. And so then he's got like the picture of his wife and child and he says that he doesn't remember if he started drinking because she left him or if she left him because he Neither. started drinking. It was because he was an internationally wanted criminal. <laughs> He's an arms dealer. <laughs> yeah, Lord of War is so crazy because Ethan Hawke plays the Interpol agent. Yeah, yeah. a young Ethan Hawke. A Hawk. very, very young <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Yeah, that movie had a promising cast. And then they, it might, like, I feel like Nick Cage might actually ruin that movie. No, the script definitely is the reason that movie fails. But, <laughs> but anyway, the moment I was thinking of was when he was on the beach trying to he's like literally creepily doing everything he can to impress this woman he's been obsessed with his whole life and then he's like the photographer didn't show up i'll take a picture of you like pose for the picture oh my god yeah (laughs) it was too much i think it's also it's hard to accept that he wouldn't realize that his brother is bothered (laughs) by all the violence he's just like completely oblivious he's like i don't know why he has such a bad coke problem like i don't know why he's chasing oblivion and then he like brings him he's like i need someone to watch my back even though he hasn't had anyone watch his back for like 15 years at this point and then when his brother freaks and like these people are gonna get murdered and he's like oh it'll be fine like like dude i feel like you've missed a lot of years of him being traumatized by this and then just casually made him come after he kicked addiction and possibly found the one like your life's going really well let me just like flush it down the toilet for you oh okay so So, are we saying leaving las vegas do you have qualms i know you have lots of qualms about leaving las vegas i couldn't remember what movie leaving las vegas was up against when i saw it was lord of war damn it it's gonna be the second round And then the problem is, is the the second round is how important this movie is to Nick Cage. And that's the movie that Katie, he won the Oscar it's gonna for. go really far. I'm like, Damn it! <laughs> I know. What is it? Okay, it could possibly be up against Honeymoon in Vegas or Prisoners of the Ghost Line. Yeah, Katie, this movie's going really far. Garbage trash. I know. I'm like, damn it. And then the next round, I think it's going to be City of Angels versus Lord of War. Or sorry. No, I don't. Um, I think it's going to be City of Angels versus Leaving Las Vegas. I'm not like sad about that. <laughs> I know. I feel like City of Angels is my new third favorite Nick Cage movie. <laughs> okay. Leaving Las Vegas, 1995. Mike Figgis. Mike Figgis, who directed did the music, wrote the screenplay, which was based on a novel, and had a bit part in the film. Okay, let's be real here. The soundtrack yeah. <laughs> is one song played over and over and over again. Also, I love how much research you did. I read the Wikipedia of it so I could see what, how the <laughs> end was. <laughs> yeah, we got to put a pin in that ending because it actually echoes the ending of another movie that we'll be talking about. I agree that even though like I genuinely seriously loved this film, even though I do think it's traumatizing, I think that the ending is deeply traumatizing. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, I just, I also like, I have a hard time with like alcoholism and yep. drug addiction stuff. And so I just feel like it's like, oh my gosh, they were both Lord of War and Leaving Las Vegas were about addiction too. It's just so hard to watch. They just, I feel like the randomizer was like, 
We don't know these movies. We <laughs> know these movies. <laughs> anyway, I don't think we'll be drinking for a while. Moving on. <laughs> Ever. I think, I think I'm officially sober. I didn't drink a lot before, so I wasn't really worried. But I think I'm done now. Okay, so seed number two is Prisoners of the Ghost Land. And seed number 15 is Honeymoon in Vegas. Two very so, different. So movies. nothing in common here, really. <laughs> I mean, maybe it'll probably come out as we talk about them, but like so so different. I think the only thing in common is <laughs> Nick Cage in two very different cages. I feel like Honeymoon in Vegas is at the beginning of his career, where it's like he's. What well, you texted me, and I was like, "What is this? Like, he's actually not terrible." And you're like, "Yeah, it's a Coppola who's not in debt." <laughs> <laughs> That was leaving Las Vegas. (laughs) Okay, so Prisoners of the Ghost Land, you have to explain that plot because I still don't know it. (laughs) Okay, I love that we've set up the brackets this way because we've made it so that it's not actually the best movie that can win. It has to be by the criteria, Mm -hmm. at least at this point, how important (laughs) is Nick Cage to this movie. I love that. So, okay, Prisoners of the Ghost Land came out in 2021. I feel like it was like, Cage had a renaissance during COVID because people didn't really have anything else to do. So they just started watching <laughs> through his movies. It was directed by, I'm going to screw this up, Sean Sono, I think uh, is how you say that. Um, he's known, he usually makes like Japanese language films. This was his first English language film. I am fairly certain that this is a highly stylized movie about the Japanese identity in the wake of like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, But it's basically like this governor has taken over a town, an American governor, and he's dressed like um, the Colonel from Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he like has a harem (laughs) of Japanese women around him. And he's like turned, it's called Samurai Town. And it's basically like, it's called Samurai Town and there are samurai who serve him, but basically he's turned it into the Wild West. It's like a very blatant image of American nationalism. <laughs> um, so Nick Cage, who has just, is a, like a convict who he and his partner have just been arrested because they like robbed a bank. And like there was this whole thing where it's like, Nick Cage's partner was super violent and like killed this kid who haunts him throughout the whole film and Nick was like don't do it man but he did and so they get split up and like the other guy goes with the other convicts in the area but Nick Cage is like taken on as this hero in fact he doesn't have a name in the movie his name is hero and the governor hires him because his granddaughter has run away. Granddaughter. I don't think that it's actually his granddaughter. He has like a creepy, creepy it's relationship to his woman. granddaughters. <laughs> um, <laughs> All the women in the harem are his granddaughters because that better makes it so much more uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway, this woman played by Sophia. Last name escapes me. It's uh, like, is it Bordetella? Bordella? But yeah, that's right. It, it starts not with right. a that's very close. <laughs> also from Kingsman. <laughs> so she runs away and Nick Cage has been like pressed into service to go find her. But because like he's a convict, so it's not like he's being hired. Instead, he's been put in this suit, this black leather suit that like is going to blow up. It has like little bombs all over it. It blows up if he gets too aggressive 
with her and it like blows up if he has an erection around her <laughs> his balls will blow up um, and so he goes on a quest to find her she's in this <laughs> other weird town that's got some crazy stuff going on in it where like there's a clock that the people are trying to hold back time because there's second time and it's called the ghost land and everyone is either wearing white or then there's like the rat people who are super into technology and this feels like a, a mishmash of like all the Japanese identities and then like then there's the people who like put the doll pieces over themselves. The mannequins? Yeah, the nice mannequins. Nice and creepy. Yeah. So, so creepy. And she's been one of those, and he finds her, but apparently doing that makes you lose your voice, et cetera, et cetera. She finds her voice. Nick Cage, like, drags her away. He's going to take her. And there's this weird scene where he's taken off all the pieces of her, and it gets a little sexual. He loses a ball. <laughs> he just so And then my quickly. favorite part is he's like, he's out, obviously. But then, like, immediately back up and going, like, unfazed. Um, he's fine. Walking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for some reason, I think they're attacked or something. And his arm gets blown up. And he, like, is out. And she thinks that he's dead. But he's not dead. But, like, he has this vision while he's out that makes him want to save the town and not just like do his job to get out of the suit. And so he becomes kind of this town's hero. I don't really understand how that works out, but like, but my personal favorite scene is the one where he stands in front of the clock tower and, and says, I didn't know I'd be standing here with one arm and one testicle <laughs> anyway he leads them in a resurrection or a insurrection not a resurrection he's resurrected he leads them in an insurrection against the governor and they win and everyone is pretty much dead except for the women and him and then he walks off into the sunset like a true western hero yeah um so i think the dream is that he thought that the people that he had killed were like haunting mm. him but he realized that they were just like helping him and that they didn't like hold it against him apparently i don't know you went really in depth uh in that plot and i feel like i got like 15 percent of that from the this was my second time watching it <laughs> i watched it when it came out i feel like it's a hard movie to describe because it's so wild it's very hard to find a through line to describe it by <laughs> i feel like crazy kentucky fried chicken man is the governor of post-apocalyptic Japanese kind of city. <laughs> he has a harem of women. One of them escapes. He sends Nick Cage to go get her in a suit that will explode if he does anything wrong. He loses an arm, a testicle, but he gets her back. <laughs> they overthrow the town. Yeah, that's more efficient. That's definitely more efficient. <laughs> The thing is, though, <laughs> that's what I got from the story. You, <laughs> you like took deeper things into that. And that is the whole thing as I understand the movie. The thing about this crazy, wild movie in which I rented it off of YouTube and the first YouTube comment said, YouTube should pay me to watch this movie. <laughs> but the thing is, there are a lot of cagey moments like very very clearly like i feel like they hired him for this movie because they needed it to be nick cage and the legend that like he carries with him into any film is this post willie's wonderland or pre yeah same year 
I don't know what order he, but he's got the same beard in both of them. <laughs> the same poorly dyed beard. <laughs> because I feel like, okay, it was announced in 2019. Willy's Wonderland has joined in February 2020. Oh, Imogen Poots was originally in the huh. starring role. Okay, so they filmed November 6, 2019. For... Willies are for uh, prisoners of the ghost prisoners land. of the ghost land. So it was filmed first. I'm trying to oh, and then February twenty twenty. Yeah, it feels like it would be the other way around to me. Like he saw Nick Cage in Willie's Wonderland, and he was like, "I want that <laughs> for this movie." I I think it was like he saw. I just he caught the train of like. Nick Cage isn't just a man. He represents an idea. And like in this movie, I need him <laughs> to be whatever Nick Cage is. <laughs> I feel like I want to see what other movies were around this time. Because I feel like he's one of those people that has a whole other page for his filmography. Which makes <laughs> I also love that Pig came out in the same year. I think that he officially paid off his debts in 2022. I think it might have been the final push. I mean, I feel like also when they make a movie that's just about you, (laughs) (laughs) I would imagine that that pays relatively well. And Crudes was the movie before Prisoners of the Ghostland. Okay. Sorry. He was was... great in Crudes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like Prisoners of the Ghostland is when I think of recent Nick Cage movies like Willis Wonderland. That I feel like it falls in that category. Like Mandy, like just kind of, it's a whole era. Yep. I feel like Honeymoon in Vegas, early Cage. Yep. He did not part of the legendarium, still like trying to figure out who he is. 1992, before he won an Oscar. He's like, what, 23 in that movie? No, he's 23 in Raising Arizona. So he's like 28. So in this movie, Anne Bancroft plays his mom and tells him never to marry. And he falls in love with Sarah Jessica Parker. And then everything's good in the beginning. And then she's like, I'm going to get married and have kids. Like, you know, we've been together a while. I need commitment. And then she's going to break up with him. And he's like, no, 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 no. They go to Vegas. James Can sees Sarah Jessica Parker, whose last name is also Nolan in this movie. Nice. I know, right? And she looks like James Can's ex-wife who has passed away from skin cancer. <laughs> and instead of being normal about it, he's like, oh my God, I want this twin of my wife and I'm going to make Nick Cage, who is, pardon the pun, being cagey <laughs> about getting married. <laughs> he makes him or doesn't make him but he invites him to a poker game and James Can is a professional poker player and so he just like wipes the floor with Nick Cage and I think he owes him it's like six yeah it's like a lot yeah and so or 65,000 and so James Can is like do you know what if we want to wipe the slates clean let me have a weekend with your fiance and obviously Sarah Jessica Parker at first is like I'm sorry, what now? And <laughs> She's then like screaming they have in the casino. No you turned me into a whore. Also, at one point, <laughs> she wears earrings that look exactly like the earrings that Nick Cage buys Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, so he really did turn her into <laughs> a prostitute. <laughs> and so then 
Sarah Jessica Parker goes with James Can to Hawaii because I think she had never been. He has a house, and he's <laughs> she's like so surprisingly. Let me show you the world situation. I know, right? And then Nick Cage is just like keeps trying to like get her back, and he tries to go to Hawaii. He finally gets there, and it's just basically they can't like talk, and he doesn't know that she's having second thoughts. <laughs> And then James Can is like, marry me. And she's like, well, okay. Once James Can tells her that it's James Can, right? It's not like Khan. I don't know. I think so. That's how I okay. have said it I in thought, my life. I've been saying this a lot. <laughs> also, he's like 52 in this movie. And he like turns to 26-year-old Sarah Jessica Parker. And is like, I will take care of you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Even though he's like doesn't have that long compared to her (laughs) (laughs) i feel like his kids are like her age which (laughs) is never great and so but james can tells her that it was only like three thousand dollars and that instead of paying nick cage like offered her up for the weekend which is not true and so then she agrees to marry him They go back to Vegas to get married. Then Nick Cage is trying to get back to Vegas. And then he (laughs) can't really find a flight until he stumbles across. There's there's like an Elvis (laughs) convention that's happening in Vegas this whole time. So he stumbles across Elvises that are like going on a plane. And so he's like, yeah, I'll just go with them. And then he finds out on the flight that they are parachuting to the hotel that conveniently James Cannon and Sarah Jessica Parker are <laughs> staying at. And Sarah Jessica Parker is trying to escape from James Can because he got like rough with her at the one point. Yeah, well he was like, you agreed, so you can no take backs. Like <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, you know, not great. <laughs> Which I don't feel like at any point in this movie you're like, Yeah, James, <laughs> go get her <laughs> And then so she's dressed up in a showgirl outfit to try and escape from him. And Nick Cage is dressed as an Elvis and with the parachute on. And then she's like, oh, my God, you jumped out of a plane for me. And then they get together. And James Cannon's like, oh, crazy kids. And then <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker and Nick Cage get married with all of the Elvis. So good. In I really appreciated yeah. the ending of this movie. <laughs> this is a, like a cute little rom-com. Yep. It's like not particularly memorable it's no city of angels <laughs> but like it's yeah cute. it's cute like i love things i love i love that nick cage in the elvis convention gets a onesie like the elvis suit but everyone else is wearing the wig and they were like nah man you good <laughs> <laughs> we want to be able to tell you also apart things that i love <laughs> About 10 years later, he would end up married to Elvis's daughter. <laughs> yeah. I was reading a comment on Instagram about it was on a clip from the massive weight or the unbearable weight of massive talent where um, Pedro Pascal has like all of his memorabilia. And someone in the comments was like, basically, that's what he did to Lisa Marie Presley yeah. because he loved Elvis so much. <laughs> I don't know how true that is, but I thought that was funny. It's so good. I think it might be a little true. <laughs> I feel like that would be really hard if Elvis was your dad. And then you're like, do they love me or do they love Elvis? <laughs> These are the questions. 
It's not questions I have to ask myself when dating, so I do appreciate that. So how important to this movie do you think Nick Cage is? Do you know what? I think that for a run-of-the-mill rom-com, he is surprisingly important (laughs) to this. Because, like, he's a private eye. And there's this man who is convinced that his wife is having an affair with Mike Tyson. And at the beginning of the movie, he's like, sir, are we sure it's Mike Tyson? Or is it like this other guy that like, and she was like, he's like, she would never like go so low as to like have an affair with the other guy. Like, of course, like it would be with Mike Tyson. Like if she's going to leave me, it's going to be for Mike Tyson. And then Nick Cage like doesn't believe him. She's like, no. And then towards the middle of the movie, when Sarah Jessica Parker is off in Hawaii, Nick Cage like wigs out because (laughs) this guy is like you know you don't understand like she left me or she's leaving me and i know she's having an affair and it's like this like really bad like early 90s fake photoshop job of his wife's (laughs) head on the body of someone that's like actually with mike tyson (laughs) and like then all of a sudden nick cage like has his like nick cage like burst of (laughs) also he's always yelling in this movie always (laughs) stressful for a rom-com and i think it's just because he's like constantly at a 10 (laughs) (laughs) or like maybe like adjusted for like nickflation like maybe like a seven one thing i can say in the like contra prisoners of the ghost land is that while nick cage is important to the film i think that the script was written for him so i don't know how much he actually brought to the film that wasn't already there for him Mm -hmm. whereas this movie like you were saying imagine like tom hanks in it it's a completely different film you could use the same script but like the and and and, so it's not the script that's bringing whatever it is that cage factor to this movie it's literally the fact that it's nick cage in this movie yeah no i agree i feel like i feel like tom hanks in this movie and it is basically Joe versus the volcano. Like Joe, yeah, I was literally just going to say that. <laughs> and I don't necessarily know that, like, if you put... Who can we think of that you would put prisoners in Prisoners of the Ghost Man instead? I think I'm making, like, a twisty-turny argument here. But I guess what I'm saying is if you put someone else in the role, you'd be like, that's weird because this character is Nick Cage. But, like, it is that an artistic... Is it a product of him being him or is it a product of someone knowing who he is yes. at that point and writing like, oh, this seems like a Nick yes, Cage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So like, no, you can't replace him, but he's not necessarily the one bringing Nick Cage to the film. Nick Cage was already in the film before he got there. <laughs> this is like a very like splitting hairs kind of argument. <laughs> but I, I agree. And I feel like Math is not great, but this is almost 30 years before Prisoners yep. of the Ghost Land. And I feel like this is like you're seeing the beginning yes. of who he becomes. And I think what like you're bringing up is that 30 years later, it's like everyone knows who it, like you, you know what yep. to expect. And so, I mean, so what do we think that means? <laughs> I don't know. I think that I think that this is a hard matchup. I think that. I came in thinking that it would be Prisoners of the Ghost Land, but that's also because while you were watching Leaving Las Vegas, I was watching Prisoners of the Ghost Land. (laughs) (laughs) But I, as we talk about it, like, I think that it would be fair to put 
Honeymoon in Vegas as the winner because I think that he makes the film what it is in a way that prisoners of the ghost land would be that way no matter what. And now like like later on we're going to come to Willie's Wonderland which I think is literally the same thing that we've been saying but like the matchup mm-hmm. is different there. See what is- because he has no script. Yes. <laughs> No, you're right. And he's the one who made that decision. And he had lines when he came to Willy's Wonderland and he decided to make the character silent. So he did make that what it was. And I feel like that is more of an iconic role for him than Prisoners of the Ghostland. Yeah, I see that. I'm not sure if that's because like in Willy's Wonderland, he doesn't speak at all. And so that's like something that you've never experienced from him (laughs) before. And it's just like so weird that you're like, oh, God. (laughs) Versus like, I feel like Prisoners of the Ghostland. It's weird, but it's not. I don't. I don't it's know. It's very classic Nick Cage. I feel like if you are getting an education in Nicolas Cage, you do have to watch it. I feel like it's one of the important ones to watch. But I don't know if it meets the criteria of with the particular matchup against Honeymoon in Las Vegas in this round. I agree that I think Honeymoon in Vegas is. I think he's more important to Honeymoon in Vegas than he is to Prisoners yeah. of the Ghostland. All right. Okay. But I'm just saying. He literally does get a ball blown off in this movie. You absolutely must. If you are trying to figure out who Nick Cage is, you can't skip this movie. <laughs> I also like that round two is now leaving Las Vegas versus Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> it feels good. That is going to be a wild conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> okay. So our next matchup is number three seed. <laughs> Raising Arizona versus number 14 seed City of Angels. And I am so excited for this conversation. This is rigged. This is a rigged conversation. (laughs) But I think it's the same conversation that we were just having because Raising Arizona is a Coen Brothers movie and it's where he is a thief. Yeah, he's an armed robber, but the, his whole deal is he doesn't actually carry arms or like the gun's not loaded. So he keeps getting yeah. off because he didn't actually have an armed weapon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like he, he goes to jail, but it's like a short amount of time. And every time he goes to jail, then he meets this woman named Ed, just <laughs> <laughs> apparently short for Edwina. And it's Holly Hunter. And she is the cornerstone of my argument for why City of Angels should win this movie. That's we're, we're, that's cart before the horse. So do we, I feel like you should just give the summary of this movie because I'm not going to be Because <laughs> you really want to do City of Angels. Okay, okay. I got this. Okay, so he keeps seeing her and he falls in love with her because he keeps seeing her so much. And like at one point, she's just lost her fiance. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> I love that favorite part of the movie. Hands so down. he like steps in and she falls in love with him. And so finally released from prison, he's going to make a clean break. Like he's going to be a good man for her. So they get married and live in a trailer. And uh, <laughs> they have a happy home life. They're doing super well. But the problem is that she really wants children and they can't have any. She can't have children because <laughs> she's barren. <laughs> So at the same time, there's this like famous and like Nick Cage who narrates this film again, tells us (laughs) that uh, everyone knows who whoever Arizona is because because he's in like a a commercial, which that felt like, like, I know this is like 
southern, but that felt like the most midwestern thing. <laughs> well, everybody knows who like whoever is on the, on the TV. Um, <laughs> but he has just had quintuplets with his wife, and they decide that that's too many babies for one family, and they decide to go steal one. And they do, and they take the baby home and are very happy together with their new child. At this exact moment, John Goodman, who I think is in almost every single Coen Brothers movie that exists, shows up with his brother. <laughs> They've just escaped from prison. They create chaos, and they, like, bring out the fact that Nick Cage is actually a convict, and, like, they're a bad influence, and they get suspicious about this baby that's in the house, and Holly Hunter really wants them to leave. And then also they have this other couple that they're friends with and the wife is Francis, a very young Francis McDormand. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and they want to be swingers. But and it's also Nick Cage's boss and Nick Cage goes cage rage. He does have a cage rage moment on him and punches him <laughs> because he doesn't want to swing. And this all leads to them figuring out that the baby is actually this other guys and they start blackmailing him for it and like that means john goodman and his brother figure it out and so like it's like this push me pull you for the rest of the film about who's gonna get the baby and the result is and like there's this biker who's like the biker of the apocalypse uh who tries to have a stake in this and like everything Bounty hunts the baby, baby. (laughs) and has like weirdly like baby shoes on his belt. Anyway, the result is that the baby is in danger, and so Nick Cage and Holly Hunter, who are now having marital trouble and are going to split up, take the baby back to its father, and they actually are the ones who rescue him. So they are technically going to get the reward that was out for his bounty, but then the father figures out that it was them and he's kind of touched by the fact that they didn't want to hurt the baby or get money. They just wanted a child and so he tells them to stick together and so they do. And Nick Cage has like this dream of the future where maybe one day they will have children. It's very, very Coen Brothers. Two things I think are that, like you already said this before, but like of all the leading ladies that we have seen thus far up against Nick Cage, Holly Hunter is the only one who has like 100% successfully like did her part. Um. She stole this movie from Nick Cage. Like I've always liked Holly Hunter, but I feel like there's no other movies that we've watched on this side of the bracket yet where anyone is able to like, he is the main, like he feels like the main character and then it's, you know, just everyone else. And I feel like, even though he's the one that narrates and it's like mostly his side of the story, she just steals this movie from <laughs> yep, him. I agree. The other thing I think is that somehow, like I, it just must be that the Coen brothers are so dominant in their style of making movies that they turned Nick Cage into something else. Like he's subdued, mm-hmm. he's quiet, he looks like a Coen brothers hero. He's not hardly weird at all. He's got crazy hair, but like he's, I don't know, he could be, he could be Oscar Isaac and like whatever that other movie was. Ooh. <laughs> I, like, I don't know. He, he just, he looks like, he doesn't look like Nick Cage. He looks like a Coen Brothers hero in this movie. And it is wild. I don't know how they did it. I think it's because they probably, like, I think like Wes Anderson-esque, they probably have like 
strive for a lot of artistic control in their films. Well, I think that that's the whole thing is that this is a Coen Brothers movie. It's not a yeah. Nick Cage movie. I love that he's in it. I think that he yeah. contributes beautifully to the film. And I think it's because he is who he is. It's just, it, and it's a wonderful movie. But I think I agree with you that this mm-hmm. is a Coen Brothers movie. This is not a Nick Cage movie. Yeah. Which brings us to the pure joy. So this movie came out in 1998 and I saw it as a child. Um, and while we were rewatching it, I was like, God, I should not have watched this. I was probably eight, <laughs> maybe nine when I watched this. City of Angels is where Nick Cage plays an angel <laughs> and his BFF is Andre, is the captain That's from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> oh my gosh. He, I love him. And it just one of the saddest parts of the movie for me includes him. And I need to bring <laughs> that up later and I can't forget. Basically, Nick Cage shepherds people who are dying to like the afterlife. He basically is the Grim Reaper. <laughs> And that's, like, apparently what all angels do in this movie. And this movie starts off with a child dying of a fever. <laughs> like this, this is how this romantic film starts he, off. He likes of to ask child. them all, what was your favorite thing about life? And she says, pajamas. And I was like, girl, you get it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you have not experienced a lot, child. <laughs> so that's that's how this movie starts. Then he goes and talks to his friend um, and tells him, you know, footy pajamas. And then he goes to the hospital because this man is about to die. And Meg, Meg Ryan, Ryan. 90s Meg, Meg Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> I feel like I need to look and see how the difference, like, what what did this fall So this is in? 98. This is after, like, Sleepless in Seattle. I want to say that this is after, not long after, but after her run with Tom Hanks. No, 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 no. This is pre-You've oh, Got Mail. So in between Sleepless in Seattle and You've Got Mail. Yeah, so Sleepless in Seattle was in 93. And then she's got IQ, French Kiss, Anastasia. Yes. One of my childhood favorites. (laughs) And then City of Angels. And then she's got You've Got Mail, Kate and Leopold. Okay. Against the Rose. So this was literally right in the middle. This is peak Meg Ryan. Or she's about to peak (laughs) because You've Got Mail is the perfect movie. I just like throughout this whole movie, I was like, Meg Ryan, are you okay? Have you been kidnapped? (laughs) Blink twice if you need help. Blink (laughs) twice. Okay, so Meg Ryan, <laughs> 90s Meg Ryan is the doctor She who's performing surgery. And apparently she's very good because she loses a patient and is just everything in her life is turned <laughs> upside down. She doesn't know what she believes anymore. And I think they like at the beginning, they're like, you're so like she's getting too good. And then like right after. She, so she she's performing the surgery. She thinks everything is great and done. And then he basically crashes and she's like beating his heart with her bare hands trying to save him and then nick cage is just like pinky in the corner or like finger in the corner like i'll take you man. Not really, but like, it's, 
she, he escorts the man to the afterlife and then goes and watches Meg Ryan in a stairwell weeping. So that is the beginning of their love story. It's very one-sided. He basically becomes obsessed with her. I know. It is aggressively one-sided at the beginning. And then you think like, oh, there's no way she's going to reciprocate the feelings. And then all of a sudden, she's just like... He's so like she's like he's so hot to her that she's in a warm bath and like holding this cold bottle of beer against her face and like and caressing her face. She did not give her consent for that viewing session. Oh, I feel like there's a lot that she didn't give her consent to in this movie, and it's just like he just watches her for a long time. So her next patient after the one that dies is a man that used to be an angel and then he decided to fall and then like Nick Cage is hanging around and he can feel that the angel's there. So he thinks the man thinks that he's going to die. And then he's like, no, no, no. Just like creeping on the nurse or or, sorry. I'm just like creeping on the doctor. It's fine. And so then this Nick Cage and Meg Ryan, they like meet and he says that he's there to see the other man or she asks if he's there to see the other man and he's like, yeah. And then his name is Seth. It's an angel named <laughs> Seth. Um, <laughs> and his friend, the um, commander from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, is like, he has a normal angel name. His name. I'm like, oh, Cassiel. So anyway, they fall in love. It's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, Nick Cage just is, like, stalking her the whole time. And then he just, like, will appear and then she's like, oh, Seth, how are you doing? It's, I'm not doing this plot justice, but there is a really long plot. Um, they fall in love. And then she finds out that he's an angel and like doesn't believe him. And then I think comes around and believes him. And then Nick Cage decides that he's going to jump so they can be together. Oh, she stabs. She like tries to chop off a yep, finger. Doesn't. <laughs> he's not bleeding. That's but she's that's like, she no, no, don't fall about that. for me. I like it's. I'm gonna go marry this other guy so that you don't do it. Yeah, because I think she's in a relationship the whole other time this is happening. <laughs> so <Yep. laughs> I forgot about that dude. He's also a doctor. They're both like, have you know? They have no yep. feelings. So they're perfect for each other. This movie has a lot going on, but like not really. Because it's so hard to take your eyes off of Nick Cage in this movie. (laughs) Oh my God. And it's just so good. So he falls and he didn't think this through at all. (laughs) And so he's... Because he's got to get to Tahoe where she is probably getting married. Yeah. But instead of finding that out beforehand when he can just like poof, he's like, oh, I should become human first. (laughs) And then... I should have to like figure out how to get to Tahoe from LA. Try and get there. <laughs> yeah. With no money, no identity, no friends who are human. I mean, other than the fallen angel guy. It, it's a real tough life <laughs> for him. He finally gets to Tahoe. Meg Ryan's dog like barks. And then he's like, oh my God, he really is here. The dog can see him too. And they have the most uncomfortable sex scene I have ever seen in my I entire life. I would like life. to pause here. I think that we should read the comments from the clip that is on YouTube of this scene. I think we should, but I also we need to bring in the fact that Nick Cage can't taste or feel yep. anything, which is why he couldn't feel his finger getting cut off and then it was fine. <laughs> but so Meg Ryan is eating a pear in this movie and he is having her explain what a pear tastes like and she's like you've never had a pear and he's like I want to know like 
what you think of it, basically. That is what happens in their session. <laughs> but, like, she's like, how does it feel? And I realized while watching this movie... I don't ever think I've seen a Meg Ryan sex scene. And I think this movie might be why there aren't any. I married into a family who are like professional experts in Meg Ryan rom-coms. And they also cannot think of one in which she has a sex scene. I feel like you've got mail. They kiss at the end. When Harry met Sally, they kiss at the end. Sleepless in Seattle, (laughs) they kiss at the end. All of these movies are like, there's the kiss and they're done. Like, you know, they're they're together forever (laughs) because... They've made it through a lot. That's probably why this one doesn't, like, kiss isn't good enough because they need to go all in. Oh, they went too far and shit at the van. Okay, so we are going to pull up. This is, I, I do not exaggerate when I say I don't think I have watched a more uncomfortable sex scene than this, unless it's leaving Las Vegas. The ending. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we can talk about that now. Apparently, Elizabeth Shue was so good in bed that she, like, killed him. <laughs> he did not participate in that at all, though. <laughs> so, I have watched a lot of movies. Probably more than any person should at my age. Hands down, the most uncomfortable. I just don't think that there are words good enough to describe this scene. Like, you have to have, like, I feel like you have to be initiated into it yourself. You just have to watch this movie. I implore (laughs) you, you have to watch this movie. So it's deeply uncomfortable. And it's not romantic at all. I mean, like, you're like, oh, good, they're getting together. That's nice. But you're like, (laughs) what in the world am I watching? And also you're like, Meg Ryan, don't do it. (laughs) Meg. (laughs) Okay, so... These are the comments. Some people find this movie very romantic in like a lovely rom-com. Actually, there's no com. It's just rom- like a rom- romance tra- movie. Trage. Rom trage. <laughs> trage <or> rom. <laughs> a tra- a, a <laughs> romance. <laughs> so the first person, this particular scene is one of the most touching love scenes I've ever seen in any film ever. <laughs> I think you meant touching literally. <laughs> Next person, quote, one of the most beautiful love scenes I've ever seen. This movie may have been rated PG-13, but watching the scene almost made it look like it was rated R. City of Angels is a classic, end quote. There's a lot said in that comment. Next person. I know. The fact that they think that it's rated R. But also that that makes it one of the most touching movies of all time. The most beautiful Beautiful love love scenes. scenes, Yes. Yes. Beautiful. (laughs) Oh, the one before it was That's touching. That's right. Um, <laughs> There's just a lot of touching in this movie. This person, yeah, a lot of touch. Nick Cage gets very touchy <laughs> with people that can't see that he's there in this movie. It's deeply uncomfortable. Quote, the passion they share is remarkable. End quote. This is one of my favorite parts. This is probably my favorite comment in this whole thing. Maybe top three. Quote, it's the way he's breathing and moaning. I love when a man moans. <laughs> End quote. And then this person responded to their comment. Quote, I still remember what they said. How's the feeling? Feeling so good, but a bit tight. LOL. End quote. (laughs) I just, Um, that all of these people, like, I was afraid for us when we started on this journey. And I guess it's not over yet, but I think we're through the danger. Like, 
I desperately want someone who's 10 to 15 years older than us to comment. So like if the, if you fit into that category, please like let me know. Was Nick Cage considered sexually appealing at any point in his early career? Like was this viable? Like <laughs> these people in the comments seem to think so. Like <laughs> we have two comments. Three. We have three more comments. <laughs> This okay. First one, quote: This movie is the only love movie that makes me feel like I'm really living this love. <laughs> comma, 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 comma. <laughs> Despite I'm such a freezing girl who wants to keep love away from her. Comma, comma, comma. This movie woke s up my passion and turned me on and melted my heart. End quote. Someone had their sexual awakening to Nick Cage <laughs> <laughs> in this particular scene. Quote: Well, all right then. The scene got me so hot. One of best love scenes ever. So close, heartwarming, really make you want to share a scene like that with URE forever partner, OMG, end quote. And then this answers our question, quote, the only movie that managed to make me feel like Nicolas Cage is hot, end quote. And then there's four people that agree. See, I was afraid that this would happen to us, but I think that I can officially say marked safe from finding Nick Cage sexually attractive. (laughs) I never was in fear of that. I but, think you know. that he is cute in Raising Arizona. but Well, in Leaving Las Vegas, there's per- certain parts Precious. that you're like, oh, yeah, like adorable. But not like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go hang out with no, him by a fireplace. I never want to be <laughs> near a fireplace again. <laughs> I know. It's going to make living in my apartment rough. But I just can't look at it too hard. So obviously, I feel like City of Angels. Yeah. I mean, so here we go. Like... This bracket is not like I feel like I, I want to say this on both of our behalves. Like, this is not a bracket about which movie is better. We have good taste in movies. We clearly said that this, the criteria for this first round is which movie is Nick Cage the most important to, and it's obviously City of City of Angels. What I think is funny is that I think you should speak for yourself when you say you have good taste in movies. I think I like City of Angels more than Raising Arizona because I think it is fucking hilarious. Is it supposed to be hilarious? No. Also, just in case you're wondering, immediately after Meg Ryan and Nick Cage have sex, then Meg Ryan dies uh, in a tragic accident where she decides that she's just going to go no hands, he's on a bike. <laughs> but it was all worth it because he had that one beautiful moment. <laughs> Because she touched him and he got to touch her. It really her. was. It was shocking. Like, they started, they had that scene. And I was like, you know, this is weird. And that was bad. But this is a nice little rom-com. And then they start telegraphing with the no handsies on the bicycle that this is not going <laughs> good places. And whoa. Like, that was shocking. So, I, like I said, I watched this as a kid. And I didn't remember any of it except as soon as nick cage gets in the shower i'm like oh my god meg ryan dies <laughs> I'm like and it's about to happen it was just repressed trauma from my childhood but yeah if he so, had not fallen City of angels they would have been together yeah i mean to be fair like once she had that guy die on her she like wanted to know like is there more like all that stuff and like she found that out and then nick cage was obsessed with like human life and got to be a human so like they both kind of got what they wanted they just had Ships awkward weird sex in the, in the night. 
Anyway, he goes for a nice, nice bracing swim. You said the saddest part of this movie has to do with his friend, Cassiel. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'm so <laughs> glad you reminded me. Nick Cage decides to jump without saying goodbye to his friend. <laughs> like, I just think that's so sad. He did warn him that he was going to do it. Yeah. But don't you think like if you've been friends for since the beginning <laughs> of time that if I was going to go jump off a bridge, I would say goodbye to you. <laughs> I'm delighted to know that. Um, <laughs> I feel like, I mean, you're not going to be able to like talk to him again once he, I mean, I guess you could, but, and then at the end of this movie, I think we need to talk about the weirdest part. We're, we're going to have nothing to talk about second round because we've already talked about all the weird things. But after Meg Ryan dies, he goes to the grocery store and just has like a moment with pears (laughs) where he just decides to put the entire display in his basket. So I'm never going to be able to eat a pear again, people. Also, nobody (laughs) in this movie knows how to smile. No. It's like everyone forgot. Everyone's in pain. It's like like a grimace. Like it's there in emotional, physical, and I think spiritual pain. I yep. I feel like Meg Ryan was in that kind of pain this whole time that she was filming this. It it would not shock me. I feel like I wonder if she ever commented on she read this. We we should second round. We'll look. But I feel like this is one of those movies that she read the script and she's like, yeah. And then you're like, oh 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 god, like this is this is turned into something completely. Do you? think that she knew that Nick Cage was going to be her co-star when she signed the contract? I don't I would imagine in the 90s you're casting Meg Ryan before anyone right? else. So she she was like, "Yeah, that works for me." I mean, I and yeah. she was already on a contract and couldn't get out of it. I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea. All I know is that that movie is going to live rent-free in my head for a really long time. <laughs> All right. Okay. So City of Angels. The next round, the number four seed, Willy's Wonderland, against number 13 seed, Bangkok Dangerous. I don't don't, think we need to talk about this. Oh, my word. (laughs) Okay. Bangkok Dangerous is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life. He's an assassin. They decided to use really shitty CGI to de-age him like 30 years. The color palette in this movie has like three colors in it. It's really bad. Christopher, It's Christopher Nolan, but like with... A zero dollar budget. It's just, it's terrible. Wikipedia, it. You don't want. <laughs> it's a remake. The directors remade this movie that they had already made 10 years before, but made it infinitely worse. That wasn't, I haven't seen the first one, but just like. Don't want to. Uh, it's bad. Nick Cage has no. the worst hair that he probably has had in any movie I've ever seen him in. It's really bad. It's low key with no sex appeal. <laughs> Um, this is, what is this? I have this written down. 2008. So we're looking at after, like, he had just done National Treasure 2. 2 or 1? This is, I feel like this is bad. I think this is one of those that you read the script and you're like, this could be good. And then it just wasn't. He sure (laughs) likes to do that. He also loves Asian culture. Yeah, it showed. Yeah. So basically, he's an assassin. He kills anyone who he enlists to help him normally. And then when he goes to Bangkok and then he finds this guy to help him. And he's like, no, no, I'm your teacher. Uh, karate. There's like a whole karate kid moment. Yeah. And then he finds a pharmacist who is deaf and mute. And they like get together and people are trying to like murder him. 
end. She doesn't hear the gunshots go off or feel the vibrations from a gunshot, but like the blood is splattered on her shoulder and she's like, oh my God, what is this? And then like, they're no longer. He starts realizing all the bad things he's done in his life. Yeah. And then he makes up for it by shooting himself through the head to kill the bad guy in his head. (laughs) Like buddy buddies him around the (laughs) neck and like draws his head next to his head and and shoots them both and. That it felt like yeah. a metaphor for me watching that movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I know. I feel like that would have been the, the kind thing to do is snuggle your head next to mine and take a spool out. <laughs> such a, I've never watched such a long movie that wasn't It was that one long. of our shorter movies and I thought it would never end. <laughs> no. There's no horrendous. There's no redeeming cage moments that I can think of in this movie. No. And then Willy's Wonderland. It's it's delightful. It is. This is my second time through Willy's Wonderland. I appreciated it more the second time. The first time I was one of the people who was like, hey, he didn't talk. I came here for Nick Cage and you didn't even give me his voice. But like second time through, it's hilarious. This is just a delight. So this movie, I'm not normally a horror movie person, but it's just like weird in the most delightful way. Also, we're of like Chuck E. Cheese yep. going age. It definitely has like and Chuck E. So Cheese it's nostalgia. Just, it's so weird. Also, I feel like one of the things I wanted to talk about that, I mean, we, we don't really, we can save this for next round because we don't even really, this, Willie's Wonderland wins by <laughs> a mile. I think this comes in last place out of all the movies. Bangkok Dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Will- Willie's Wonderland Pretty wonderful in a weird way. Bangkok Dangerous. I didn't like leaving Las Vegas, but it, like it was a good movie. Bangkok Dangerous was a bad yes. movie and no redeeming quality. Not enjoyable. No, absolutely. I just. Why do you think in Willy's Wonderland? Like, what's the whole deal with the punch, the drink, and the fact that like Nick Cage lets these kids die? He's like he like is more worried about doing his job then saving them and like leaves that girl to go on his break and play pinball and then comes back to get her i know he's famously on record as saying i don't want to ruin your experience with this movie the punch is whatever you think it is i assume that it has something to do with his ability to punch (laughs) (laughs) yeah i feel like i also wonder like so those kids broke i mean the main child broke in to like help get him out but he was perfectly like there was no like she saved him in the end or like he was perfectly fine taking care of himself and all of her friends died for nothing yeah i think it's a little weird that she rides off with him in the car but i mean her parents were killed at the beginning of the movie and then she like her one guardian died and i'm pretty sure I guess my question is those animatronic things were coming back. Do we think the town is just forever haunted by them? Well, no. I think they end up all dead in the end because the fairy blows up the car that has the owner in it. And I think she goes out with that blast. And then the last one is the Mexican bird. But the fairy had already been killed and she came back to life. That's true. She was in the trash didn't he bag. Just, like punch her out. He didn't do anything. Like it was like like yeah, Ripper Spine like he did with the like, others. I don't know. I feel like I'd have to watch it again, and I'm not sure. I'm really <laughs> <doing it now. laughs> 
All right, so that means that going into round two for next time, in the first bracket, seed one, leaving Las Vegas, seed 16, Lord of War, we have leaving Las Vegas continuing on. Second match, seed two, Prisoners of the Ghostland, seed 15, Honeymoon in Vegas. We have Honeymoon in Vegas going on, which means in the next round, it will be leaving Las Vegas versus Honeymoon in Vegas, which is amazing. <laughs> yes. Not, Not even, even planned, planned, but perfect. All right. Next, we have Seed 3, Raising Arizona, and Seed 14, City of Angels. Uh, hard to believe this. Can't believe Raising Arizona isn't going any farther, but we are going to let City of Angels go into Cinderella the next story. round. City of Angels. And then we have uh, Seed 4, Willie's Wonderland, Seed 13, but actually like shouldn't even be on this bracket, Bangkok Dangerous. And Willie's Wonderland, which will be up against City of Angels in the next round. Yeah. So my question for you is, who do you think is going to be the winner, at least from this side of the bracket? I think that both of our lives were substantially changed by City of Angels. And I would be surprised if it doesn't go very far. I agree, because I feel like... I mean, but it has to get through the next round. How important is this movie to Nick Cage? And I just don't know. I mean, he got to see Meg Ryan naked. I think that's probably life-changing. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to find out. I feel like next round is going to be where we have to do more, like, research. And or speculation. <laughs> <first round. laughs> yeah, like, go and on like a YouTube deep dive and watch interviews and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, next week we have Mandy, Matchstick Men, Vampire's Kiss, Guarding Test, Pig, Moonstruck, National Treasure 2, and It Could Happen to You that we're watching. Another great, great setup. <laughs> I feel like that side is better. Like there's no movie. I mean, I don't remember National Treasure 2, but there's no movies that I'm like, I don't actively, I mean, I don't really want to watch Mandy, but I feel like I have to at some point. I just would like to say again how delighted I am by the fact that the internet randomizer chose National Treasure 2 and not National Treasure 1. (laughs) And it, it, for me, embodies the whole spirit of this contest. (laughs) That it is chaos. (laughs) Yes, it'll be interesting. I feel like I'm really interested to see Pig versus Moonstruck, and I have a bad feeling that pig's making it through and not Moonstruck. Especially with the criteria, how important is Nick Cage to this movie? I think that it's going to be fun. Well, we'll find out next week. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Truly Random Thoughts. If you enjoyed the show, we would be so grateful if you took a moment to review the podcast to help us spread the word. Also, be sure to subscribe to our Substack feed to get notified about new episodes and other fun, truly random extras. We'll be back soon with another unexpected conversation. Who knows what we'll say next?